Today's episode of God's Favorites is going to be a little bit different. It's an interview episode with the creators of the movie Fred the Film, a short film currently on the festival circuit about Titanic's lookout, Frederick Fleet. Today's episode is going to contain a lot of talk of suicide and mental health issues. And of course, thankfully, we don't live in a world like 1912 anymore, where it was just something you didn't talk about. If you're having or struggling with any sorts of thoughts, reach out to someone. If you're in the States, the number to call is 988. You're not alone. You never have been, and you never will be. Reach out if you're having thoughts like Fred's. Were there cries of distress, Mr. Fleet? the opportunity to speak with two very creative young men, Bjorn Franklin and Johnny Marchetta. The two are behind the new film, Fred, a poignant look at the last days of the life of Titanic lookout Frederick Fleet, a figure who played a prominent role in the tragedy that followed him around for the rest of his life and ended tragically. And to be honest, I was amused at the similarities between the way in which they found Fred's story and fell in love with it and the way I fell in love with the story of Charles Lytoller. Just like me, during the pandemic, Bjorn and Johnny found the story of Frederick Fleet. They fell in love with the tragedy of it and felt that he had never been given a fair shake, so they wanted to tell Fred's story. Eerily similar to the way that I discovered the entire life story of Charles Lytoller, even having gone through a Titanic phase that was borderline obsession hadn't known the whole story and it took over my life and gave me traction on social media and really is the reason we have a podcast at all. As people who love history, we recognize the importance of preserving these stories so that these people are not forgotten or not chalked up to just being an archetype. But before we get into the interview, let's take a look back at the tragic story of Titanic's lookout, Frederick Fleet, and his terrible, tragic end. As this is not actually an episode about Fred Fleet, this will be an abbreviated version of events taken from newspaper articles, history.com, and Encyclopedia Titanica. The man who is frequently boiled down to one line in films, you know the one, Iceberg, right ahead, I'll work on my British accent, was born to Alice Fleet in Liverpool in 1887. Frederick Fleet had no idea who his father was. Eventually, he would be abandoned by his mother. It's heartbreaking when you realize that Frederick Fleet's mother moved to America, found work, remarried, and had children, but left Fred to fend for himself. Frederick was passed around by distant relatives and foster families and orphanages. And the fact that he had no love in his childhood makes his story even more tragic. Because Frederick did try to make something of himself, and he did. Fred would relocate to Wells and become a sea apprentice at the age of 12 years old. He was exemplary in his service and climbed his way up the ranks quickly. By 1908, he was working for the White Star Line on the Oceanic. He would work there for four years. But prior to serving on the RMS Titanic, he never served as a lookout. 
He was all of 23 years old when he climbed into the crow's nest on that fateful night, along with his cohort, Reginald Lee. Frederick would wax poetic about that night, looking up at the sky. It was, quote, the beautifulest night I'd ever seen. The stars were like lamps. And though in the confusion it sometimes becomes difficult to keep track of the exact order of events, some point later, Frederick would witness a large black mass coming out of the sky. The sea was a flat calm, and it made the horizon difficult to differentiate from the sea. And no matter which way they would have turned, it wouldn't have mattered because the Titanic was going far too fast, despite the plethora of ice warnings that had poured in previously. Fleet repeatedly tried to call the bridge before First Officer William Murdoch would answer. About one minute after that fateful phone call, maybe less, the Titanic would strike the iceberg, which dragged along the starboard side of the ship, punching holes like a weird Morse code that flooded all the watertight compartments. Fred and Reginald Lee would stay up in the crow's nest for a little bit longer than they probably should have, waiting on some instruction. Eventually, Frederick would be given charge of a lifeboat, and he would survive. And in his life, he was aimed a lot for what happened. His versions of events were frequently questioned, and that would take a toll on any man. The trauma was immeasurable, and it's something we don't talk about enough. There was a stigma placed on men who survived. There's an anecdote that I learned from a friend in which a man on the Carpathia had all these surviving officers of the Titanic sign a form, a piece of paper. They asked, do you want our autographs? And he said, yes, I wanted the signatures of the cowards of the Titanic. TikToker Reed Moon actually has this autograph in his shop in Utah. Several survivors, especially crew survivors, would take their lives later. If you look up list of surviving crew, you'll see that many of them died by suicide. Trauma was just something that was never talked about back then. It would take the Great War and men coming home destroyed by shell shock before anyone wanted to address the trauma and what we now know as post-traumatic stress disorder was very, very real. Fred did continue to go back out to sea, later working for the Canard Line, and he would meet his wife, Eva. They had a daughter together, and though Fleet would still struggle with his mental health, he seemed like he was happier than he had ever been in his entire life. He was devoted to Eva and their daughter. When Eva became ill... Fred is alleged to have said to his daughter, If your mother goes, I will not be far behind her. Eva died on December 28, 1964. It would be Fred's brother-in-law that would take the bad news of eviction to him, saying he wanted him out of his home. Some weeks later, in January of 1965, police found Fred distraught, struggling. He had lost his wife, and he was losing his home. And he believed his mind. It would be his brother-in-law who would find his body hanging from a clothes post in a back garden. He left a suicide note in which he referenced his wife's death and referenced the Titanic. He was buried in a pauper's grave, mostly forgotten about. But when a group of Titanic historians found out that Fleet didn't have a headstone, they pulled their money together to make sure that Fred, the lookout from the RMS Titanic, would be remembered. Cheers. All right. So um, introduce yourselves um, and uh, tell me where you're from. And then we'll I'll ask you some questions about Fred. 
Great. Okay, it's Bjorn. Um, Take it away, Bjorn. Well, I'm Bjorn Franklin, and this is Johnny Marchetta. Um, we are the writers and directors of Fred, the short film. Um, me and John have been long-term collaborators, 15 years kind of friendship. Um, and yeah, we're in a directing partnership together and have been for, for quite some time now. And Fred was a, is, is essentially our kind of first debut long form piece of narrative um we kind of come from a background of music videos commercials and um yeah we we've been working in music videos and commercials and yeah like, like most filmmakers you know love the idea of going into long form narrative we we do this because we want to make films really and and fred yeah is our debut short and and it's kind of doing the rounds now uh, in the festivals been watching the um the, this film take place like the, the the development and the making of it and i remember initially um you guys were trying to kickstart it and then the kickstarter didn't go through so tell me about the process that you managed to actually because you were like we're not giving up and we you kept going and i know kickstarter is a very finicky friend i had to use that to start my own podcast so uh tell us about that process of the birth the idea and and the perseverance to see it through I guess so so the idea itself um this is actually during lockdown during covid we um came across a documentary um amongst many that you watched over over the course of you know 6 12 months being sat at home and uh, one of which was a guy called Tim Moulton who's a titanic expert don't know if you've seen this one but he talks um about the mirage theory and that was all around, yeah, that was all around um, the lookouts actually not being able to see the iceberg due to uh, elevated horizon. So it was completely obscure and it was just, it just kind of fascinated us in terms of like, well, actually no one's really told this story. So we kind of looked deeper into it and actually found a load of information on Fred and his life. And um, we just, just dived into the archives as much information as we could find on Frederick Fleet and, and was just completely fascinated and um, really saddened by this, this, this man who committed suicide later on in life and suffered from, from all this trauma. And we dug a little deeper and, and kind of had a chat about it. And we thought, you know, why don't we try and write something just and, you know, see where it goes. And, uh, and lo and behold, we're here today, you know, talking about it, but it, it was, was, it was a been a long old process. Um, we did try and kickstart the original project. We actually self-funded probably roughly around £5,000 worth of um, trying to get it off the ground of our own our own cash, really, and just, you know, invested in some CGI bits and some content and some art um, development and stuff. And um, sadly, we just didn't quite make the £40,000 we needed to, to, to make the original script with. Um, which meant we 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 kind of revisited this like 12 months later and stripped things back and we thought you know what it'd be really sad if we don't get this over the line in some way shape or form and we kind of condensed the script down and reworked a few things and um we ended up actually making the last few pages of the original script script which was written um and uh and and made this six minute just a very very short piece of content around uh, Fred Frederick Fleet yeah, I mean, as you know, with with period pieces, you know, there's always a cost involved. So I think we always knew we were going to have to raise some money here. Um, 
And we actually, there was kind of, we, we hit a few hurdles actually, because we tried a few funding opportunities, one with the BFI and one through another governing body. And fortunately they didn't decide to kind of give us, give us funding for that. And then we were like, okay, let's try, let's try a kickstart. Like Johnny said, and we set the bar pretty high because we were just like, look, if we're going to do this, let's, let's try and go all out. Um, and we we did quite well. We, like we raised twenty two thousand, but the way it is with Kickstarter, it's all or nothing funding. So if you don't hit your target, it's kind of annoying because we could see that number sat there, but we couldn't do do anything with it. So that that was a real blow to us, if I'm honest. Like Johnny said, and yeah, the initial script was like thirteen pages long, so it was probably it probably run around thirteen fourteen minutes. And then after a year of just kind of feeling like we've got to tell this story like we just we couldn't shake it we revisited the script like johnny said and we were like actually what is what are the most powerful devices in this story and ultimately it was you know it's very much about fred and taking his own life uh so yeah we we took the last kind of four or five pages and, and made it a lot easier to make from a cost point of view and we just kind of what we just decided to do we were just like look any any job we get in, whether it's commercial, whether it's music video, whatever, every job will just put a little bit of money aside every time. And we just kept doing that, you know, over the course of six months to eventually have enough money to go, right, we can probably beg, borrow and steal and get a lot of favours. And yeah, go ahead and make this six minute, minute short. And in a way, it was probably a blessing in disguise because I think uh, the shorter version uh probably feels a, to me more powerful than than the longer story because ultimately it is a short film um we have got things in the pipeline for this to be longer form we're actually thinking about this as in, in, a, in a tv show space at the minute and actually having conversations behind the scenes but what we created really sets that up now um but it's never easy when you're trying to make make short films you know it's co it costs a lot of money and you have to sacrifice a lot I love hearing that somebody else fell in love with a story because that sounds exactly like my, um, he's behind me. Somebody, one of my TikTok followers bought me that. So I look insane. I'm not, I promise. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> uh, no, I heard that story and, and now heard the entirety of the story and Fleet's story is just so heartbreaking. I've done a few videos on him. Yeah. And um, so as you're, as you're making this film, um, and one of the actors are fantastic. I, I watched it on the Rhode Island um, film oh, brilliant. website. Because I was like, I haven't been able to find a way to watch it um, elsewhere. <laughs> so, but I figured that out. Um, but um, those actors, that is, one, they were perfect in, in the parts, uh, re retrospectively for the ages. But um, yeah. that performance was incredible. So um, can you tell us a little bit about the, the actors, both of them, um, who played this part? across the of course yeah well, we've got tom Brittany who plays young frederick fleet 25 years old um and we've got maxton beasley senior who plays old fred as we call him and yeah i mean tom is a friend of mine and johnny's has been for, for probably 10 years and he's been in a few of our music videos and he's doing amazing here in the uk he's uh, in the lead of a show called grandchester he was you know he acted opposite Tom Hanks in Greyhound. He's really like, he's really doing some really cool stuff. So we were like blessed for him to want to do this. And he just connected with the story. And we just were like, we, we know what a great actor he is. So him coming on board was a huge win. And then 
Maxton Beasley Sr. is actually the father of Max Beasley, the actor. actor. Um, you may know Max. He's been in, he's actually based in LA, but he's been in lots of British stuff, lots of American stuff. And I was actually doing a photo shoot with him and, and he'd read the script and really liked it. And he said, you know, who'd be great for this? My dad. And his dad is, is an actor, um, kind of sort of retired now. And we just, I don't know, we just met with Maxton and we just hit it off with him and he just really connected with the character and he really dug into it. And that was another reason why, you know, he's, a, a you know, he, uh, Max, how old is he, John? What, 70? He's about 77. I think he is 77. Yeah, well. very similar age, yeah. And we were just like, you know, we'd had all these conversations with him. And then when we didn't reach the funding, it was like, oh, we just we had so many people invested in the story, especially the actors. And we were like, even for them, we didn't want to let it slip for them. Um, and they just did it. They for, for us, as short as the film is, they gave us phenomenal performances. Um, yeah, it's, re it's really interesting working with both of them. Because both of them brought very different things to the table, which is great. Because actually, young Fred, so to speak, and old Fred, very different in terms of from what we took from everything we could find were very different in terms of like um, character like what happened to young fred you know shaped old fred to where he was at that point in his life and working with max was so interesting because we knew he didn't have a lot of lines there wasn't a great deal of dialogue if any it actually we actually cut out the bit of dialogue he did have in the short film but he just had this, you know, innate ability to like say so much in just his eyes and his expression. And um, with very little direction, he just completely understood the character and understood the goal and, and ultimately where Fred, Fred ends up. And that's sadly at the end of a, you know, the garden yeah. post on a, on a washing line. Um, mm. So, yeah, it was, it was actually very emotional for filming, you know, with both Max and Tom, but like particularly with uh, with with Max, especially actually the hanging scene. So we we've got a few BTS behind this. Probably you know, people don't want to see it, but how we actually had to hang Max off the washing line was we actually cut a hole in the back of his suit and he wore a harness, and basically the harness was hoisted up on on a scaff pole and two stands, and. Um, he was hanging there for you know a good few minutes while we were getting variations of the takes and and actually Max Beasley, his son, was stood in the garden watching because he came down to set and and was watching at that moment and it was just like he wasn't hanging but I can only imagine like seeing an old man hoisted up on a you know on on a scaffold just hanging there was just it was just hot it was just shocking absolutely mm. shocking to see it was real kind of emotional part of the, the filming. So like, look, you know, the police found Frederick Fleet hanging from the washing line, you know, uh, and, and I, you know, from the reports we read, I can only imagine that being absolutely yeah. devastating to see such, you know, an old man yeah. with so many stories to tell come to, to such a tragic end. And, and Tom uh, as well, like a little bit about his performance. He did some really interesting things. Um, the, the kind of the accent in those days um, he would have had a slight Liverpudlian accent, so what we call a Scouse accent here, um, but it would have been a variation of what that accent is now. It's, it's actually quite different, um, but it's, mm. and Tom is from Kent, so it has like a very RP accent, and he kind of, we weren't really sure what he was going to do with his accent. We talked about it, but he kind of didn't want to tell us too much, and then when we rolled camera on the first take, he just had this really obvious northern twang to his accent but it was only subtle but it was subtle enough where it was like it felt so 
it felt so perfect. Yeah. And we were both, you know, look, for us, our job as directors is often done when you've cast your actors. You know, you're, you're you know, you're not there as a director telling them exactly how to do every single bit. You know, you get great actors and then you give it to them and then they they bring what they want to bring to it. And we were so lucky because both our actors did that and made our job very easy. <laughs> So um, I, I, that scene, I remember I felt sick, but like in a good way, not like a, yeah. not like a huh, but no, just the, the emotional, not knowing the toil that man carried with him his entire life. And there were all these questions. Um, Fred Fleet, like he died and he was in a pauper's grave and, and they, he didn't get a headstone until much later in life just because yeah. Yeah. so abandoned and forgotten for so, by so many people. And uh, it's, if there was something about Fred Fleet, the person that you would want to communicate that you thought maybe this didn't get communicated in the film or communicated enough, what is something about Fred Fleet you learned that has, has stuck with you in this story? Um, I guess really, if you, you think like his perseverance with life, like, you know, there wasn't really the kind of support we have today in terms of like therapists and, and speaking to people about, you know, mental health issues. And I guess, you know, that that trauma happened to Fred so early on in, in his life and he got to the grand old age of 77 before, you know, he decided to take his own life and, you know, riddled with lots of trauma from that event, but also trauma throughout his life of being, you know, tormented by, you know, everyone knew Fred Re Frederick Fleet in Southampton at the time. Like everyone, like he'd go and sit in a pub and drink on his own or he'd walk down the street. He was a newspaper salesman. He was a very familiar face, but everyone knew him as the guy that, essentially you know could have prevented the titanic accident and and you know he walked down the street and people would shout horrible things to him and he, he and he put up with that until he was 77 years old and obviously his wife sadly passed away a few weeks prior to that and obviously that was ultimately the final final straw yeah. so you know i guess perseverance like the the what what the man went through all his life and and to get to the, the grand old age of 77 and, and do that to himself really for me and i think learning about for us what we really kind of stuck stuck with us as well was the element of blame like like you know with something as expensive as the titanic and at the time it was like you know a beacon of hope almost for a passage to new york you know essentially the subtext is you know a better life when that you know sank i feel like they just you know the powers that be felt like they like we do have to put it on someone we have to blame someone and ultimately, what we've learned from talking to Tim Moulton and some historians is like, you know, it, it was it's so hard to put the blame on anybody because it was an impossible task. You know, they were up there in, in this instance without binoculars and the binoculars probably wouldn't have done too much anyway. You know, and with the naked eye, they were having to spot things ahead as they were traveling, at, traveling at an incredibly fast speed. Um, it's just it feels so unfortunate, yeah. sad for Fred that he it was put, you know, a lot, a lot of it was put on him. I know obviously in the James Cameron version, they don't really delve into any of that sort of stuff, but in reality, that is what happened. Like the papers, everything, it was put on Fred, but ultimately, you know, you can't really put the blame on anybody. And, you know, he didn't have the support network around him at the time to, to, to cope with that. One of the approaches we took with the film was actually to work the pivot, pivot off the inquest basically because that was really important part of 
uh, for us, Fred's like growing trauma. It almost felt like the accident happened, and then they were thrown into two, you know, inquests, one in the states and one in the one in one in the UK, and we're, and were essentially just grilled for hours on, you know, the you know, you know the whole process and what happened. And um, prior to that, um, apparently there was like a secret meeting with all the crew. Uh, so, which you know, you you might be aware of, but like we don't really know what happened in those four walls, but it almost feels like, you know, let's get our story straight before we go out there and start saying this, this and this. And, um, you know, we know, we know that the Titanic was traveling, you know, extremely fast through icy waters. They had prior warning to it. It was fairly normal practice to do that across those shipping lanes. But yeah, I think, I think just a combination of unfortunate events. And like we say, potentially this mirage theory as well which you know scientifically we wouldn't have known about that back then but you know changing water temperatures and air pressures over short distances and elevated horizons and, and stuff like that they didn't know anything about that so like when we looked and at the transcribes of the inquests you kind of read between the lines a little bit and, and actually there's a lot of confusion there between between a lot of the people that spoke at the inquest and especially you know reginald lee and, and frederick fleet in the crow's nest it was like, did they really understand what happened? It almost felt so confusing to them that they didn't see this thing that was so vast and big on the horizon. Oh, yeah, I was getting ready because I just, I am obsessed with the American inquiry because if it's one thing Americans do well, it's ask really stupid questions uh, in the <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, so the American is my my favorite just for that because you get some of the the hits from the senator who asks what is an iceberg comprised of at which point the fifth offer just just stares at him for like and goes ice <laughs> <laughs> so I yeah no, I I get that completely I, I, the American in, in, inquiry is incredibly embarrassing and I you know but the British inquiry is also just asking the same question in so many ways until people start to contradict themselves yeah yeah yeah, exactly. But yeah, speaking to your point about the mental health, they just the, mental health was just not a thing at this time. Not yeah. until long after World War One, we started seeing um, shell shock and and this. Um, but yeah, that this story always stuck out to me because you had, and it's it's a lot of the crew members. Uh, Charles Lightoller, my guy, um, survived on balancing on an overturned, collapsible lifeboat. And one day I was researching who have this list of survivors, and at least six of them committed suicide later yeah. so you yeah. see it's a common theme and and what's sad is and this kind of all really actually compounded you know gave validation to this story in you know at 77 in his suicide note fred mentions the titanic he says it he you know he writes it he says you know there you have it dorothy another titanic man gone you know talking about himself in the past tense like he he and that when we read that we were like ah okay this this was he was affected by this this is something that's you know he's carried with him all his life which which film festivals um is this at currently i know it's been in rhode island and will there be a chance for people to watch this as it comes out i know you're developing it potentially for something bigger but will there be a chance for people to download this version and watch it on like itunes or streaming services what are the plans so we're currently in, uh, yeah, festival, the, the festival journey right now. Um, but whilst you're in festivals, you can't, they don't really like you to have public screenings because it takes the exclusivity away from the, the festival. So obviously we're hoping to keep going and doing well in, in our festival run. So unfortunately we get so many messages saying, where can I watch this? Where can I watch this? And we just want to give it to people, but 
whilst we're in this festival kind of run, we have to hold out. Um, it's currently, so it's currently going, it's going to be at New York. Um, it's going to be at um, Liverpool. We're playing at Waterford. Um, and we've got, they're the ones currently coming up, I think. And then we've got probably, you know, a, a long list of more to come over the next six months. The plan is always when the festival run is done, we're going to put it on a streaming platform that's still to be decided, but it essentially it'll be there for public viewing and it'll be out into the world. Um, that's definitely the plan. But for now, a lot of the festivals, when we do get into them, a lot of them have online viewing platforms. Like you said, Flickers Rhode Island, we premiered there and that had like an online viewing. So what we're trying to do is kind of steer people towards the festivals uh, and they're online or even in person. I saw it on Rhode Island. So yeah, if you're interested in seeing Fred for now, and it's amazing you're getting to work these circuits like this. So, but um, that is my suggestion. Look for the film festivals and then see if they have the online viewing. You yeah. can buy a ticket. It helps support the festival and helps yeah. filmmakers. So yeah, do that. Um, but yeah, as soon as you let it post online, your socials, uh, as soon as you uh, yeah, you cool. find out where it's going to be streaming, because uh, a lot of people have expressed interest in seeing it. So congrats to you both. That's incredible. Congrats. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Thanks for thanks yeah. for having us on the podcast. Can we see the picture of Fred before we go? Oh, it's not Fred. That's wall. my. Uh, that's my. Uh, that's Charles Lightoller. Um, oh right, okay. Lightoller, yeah. <laughs> He's next to Lafayette. It's because in America, I have to have Lafayette in my house. I'm just kidding. So no, there's <sighs> my podcast corner, but that's Lightoller smoking oh, his nice. smoking his pipe. Nice. Judgy. Yeah. yeah. So it was awesome to talk to you guys. I've been following the project for a while. Um, I think my friend Raph Avila, who does tattoo, yeah, yeah, that's how I found out about it. So we were like, oh, okay. So congratulations on everything, guys. It's exciting. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So yes, I have seen Fred the film, and it is exceedingly well done. Um, I would love to see these guys develop upon it more. And like they said, it's not going to be available on any streaming services for a minute uh, because they're in the festival circuit now, but. Usually you can find some of these uh, films on the festival's website to be streamed. So just check that out, keep an eye out, and hopefully it will make it to streaming platforms worldwide at some point. The research I used for that very brief synopsis of Frederick Fleet's life all came from like Encyclopedia, Titanica, um, the Hampshire Trust in, in the UK had a big blurb on him, as well as History.com. I always want to cite my sources, kids. Um, as for the spooky vote and the upcoming spooky podcast episode, the vote winner was H.H. H. Holmes by a landslide. So you'll get an episode on definitely not God's favorite, but because that man was evil. Is, yeah, No, but H.H. H. Holmes will be our spooky history talk vote winner and you're getting a podcast on him instead of just a series on tiktok so that'll be fun i am planning on using devil in the white city as the source i love that book um, but i will refrain from doing the jokes that last podcast did even though i love that whole nanny and nanny thing um it's hard to do a series that last podcast is covered because inevitably it will one never be as good and two uh, the jokes you have to stay away from the jokes that's why i haven't done rasputin yet because i don't even want to try to hold a candle to that one but that's okay thanks for listening to this very special episode of god's favorites we'll see you next time friends